Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. I have not told you all how grateful and thankful I am for all of your donations and all of your support, be it emotionally, digitally, uh, financially, however you have supported Something Positive for Positive People. I am so grateful. Yes, this is a tool that helps other people. Yes, other people will reach out, say thank you, talk about how much it's helped them through their diagnosis, through um, shame, through dealing with the stigma, helping them learn, understand their own healing process. But I want to make sure that you all know, whoever is listening to this, the fact that you're here right now, it, it's doing something for me. Um, on like a healing level and as connected as I've become through just interviewing people who were living with herpes, I've changed. Um, yesterday, well, it's Monday now, the Monday right before Christmas, uh, I was watching this movie called The Soloist with Jamie Foxx and uh, Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man. <laughs> so, uh, Electro and Iron Man, they got a movie together because uh, Jamie Foxx was Electro in that uh, one of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. This movie was, and I'm as I'm watching it, it's a homeless man. Jamie Foxx plays a homeless man who's really into music, symphony, orchestra. Um, I forget the exact titles, but he references Beethoven and a few other names that I can't recall necessarily. Robert Downey Jr. plays a journalist who... I missed the beginning of the movie, but um, I ended up like Googling because I wanted to see if this was going where I thought it was. So uh, somehow they become friends. And throughout the movie, Robert Downey Jr. is trying to pressure. Uh, his name's uh, Nathaniel Ayers, Nathaniel Ayers. Um, and if you Google Nathaniel Ayers, you'll see like the real story about this. But I don't want to spoil too much of it. So the entire premise of the movie is that he's trying to get him to play music because he's really good when he plays for Robert Downey Jr. He, he's amazing. And Robert Downey Jr. says in the movie, he's like, you know, when I watch him feel the music, like it, it did something to him. And uh, the word compersion comes to mind. So he brought him into a symphony to just watch the rehearsal and they showed the images of what was going on in uh, Nathaniel Ayers, Jamie Foxx's character's head and all these lights are going off so pretty and everything. And um, by the time you, you could see his face too, where he's just lighting up, he's just smiling. And it's this homeless guy who uh, is so just at peace with being homeless. He won't live in an apartment. Uh, he swept up a little area to sleep outside and there's all these, uh, like criminals and there's, um, I don't know how they were sex workers. Clearly, um, there were gang members and there were, he was just in this area where he didn't belong. So Robert Downey Jr.'s character tried to help him and get him out of there just by getting him an apartment and getting him an opportunity to play music with someone who could possibly have a career for him. And throughout this entire time, like he's writing about him, you know, journalist, he has like a column and people are talking about him writing a book about it. So anyway, by the end of the movie, there's a comment made from Robert Downey Jr. 
that is along the lines of um, how he'd been trying to help Nathaniel Ayers throughout this entire movie, but in the process, he'd been helping himself. And there are just, I'm learning, like there are some people that we want to play music. Um, We want to uh, express their craft to the best of its ability. People, you know, let's say someone's really good at basketball and you want to give them an opportunity to try for the NBA. And they're just best off being able to enjoy playing basketball. So an important element of this movie is that Jamie Foxx's character, Nathaniel Ayers, is he has a mental disability. It's very, very known. And I was just thinking, I was like, I think I know what it is. I think I know what it is. And it turns out it's schizophrenia. And um, his schizophrenia, his schizophrenic episodes are what keeps him from being able to uh, like play the music in front of people, but he's really able to just be at peace and enjoy uh, the music. And so Robert Downey Jr. is trying to get him to go into treatment. He's like, hey, he'll be healed if he just goes into treatment. Let's get him into treatment some kind of way. He never goes into treatment. And when he talks about treatment, Jamie Foxx's character, Nathaniel Ayers, loses his shit on him. <laughs> and he already didn't want to live in a hotel room because he was traumatized by that. And... Uh, they show flashbacks of what was happening and everything. And um, when he was in a house, um, an apartment, and uh, they're, they're, without giving it away, there were some there were some things that happened. And he just never wanted to, like, have that kind of life again. He didn't want to live in an apartment. So, um, anyways, I'm, I'm saying all of that just to say this. And the timing of it is perfect. I have tried to help people beyond their need for help, so to speak. So I don't want to, I wanted to come, I wanted to be clear. I don't want to make people become herpes advocates. That's not my goal. I don't want to make people throw on herpes positive t-shirts and run around the city advocating and saying, hey, I have herpes and here's what you need to know. I want people to know that they have a choice. And um, when I saw this movie and Robert Downey Jr., like he changed and trying so hard to change someone, he began to understand them more. And when he began to understand Nathaniel Ayers, this a schizophrenic man who loves music, he stopped trying to get him to play. And I think there's something to be said for when we spend time with the communities that we aim to serve or when we allow ourselves to just really become a friend to someone rather than their... Uh, their their the catalyst for their opportunity, their manager or their therapist or whatever role we decide to put ourselves in for them. Oftentimes people just need to know they have a friend. And that that was reaffirmed for me by watching this movie because um, I'm still reading The Body Keeps the Score, uh, which is a book about trauma and understanding trauma. And the more I read, the more I just kind of see things around me from a different lens. As I was reading, 
um, yesterday, exactly yesterday morning, they talked about how important relationships are in healing trauma and how something as simple as having community is a a safe space, a safe community. Because the thing about it is we, when traumatized, are struggling with survival and safety like when trusted sources are no longer safe like that's where we become traumatized and I'm, I'm working through being able to articulate this uh the right way because i'm paraphrasing and so i, I I'm, I'm saying all of this because i'm headed somewhere I, I don't have notes right now so um bear with me um that's what we need often and that's what i've recognized my role to be because I did start with wanting people to be able to become more uh, involved with activism, involved with being able to go to a bar. And if you're out and you hear someone say, well, well at least it's not herpes. You don't have herpes, do you? Like be able to say, well, I have it. That was my vision. That was, <laughs> I'll admit that that was my vision. But uh, as I go to these uh, support groups, as I engage with people who are newly diagnosed as I engage with people who've been diagnosed for a while and have their own way of healing. And as I begin to, um, do well, there's a, this episode is specifically one of those things. Um, I went to give sort of a panel discussion. I I co-led a panel discussion about herpes. As I begin to have these kinds of experiences, I see the importance of just being a friend to someone and giving them the choice, giving them the options, showing them what's available and allow them to make that decision. You don't want to make anyone's decision for them because as human beings, our power comes from choice and you don't want to take away a person's power. And oftentimes that can be very triggering and traumatic for someone. So we've, me in particular, I was able to reflect and just see how much I've grown personally through recording this podcast. I have a huge problem with commitment, y'all. And freedom has been something that I've valued. And that's been an ongoing message for me is freedom, 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 freedom. And how can you be someone who values freedom when you force your choice onto another person and what I mean by that is really me advocating for like there was a point in time in the podcast when I started out where I'd paint these pictures of people what's your age race uh sex what is your sexual preference and all these kinds of things sort of to paint a picture of what a person with herpes would look like and I was very conflicted because what that looked like to me was perpetuating stigma because now I'm giving people an idea of what a person with herpes looks like. Then, <laughs> so like now you'd say, oh, well, people with herpes are this, that, and that. But my, as I questioned the intention, it came down to me doing that so that the people who have herpes can hopefully find someone who looks like them. Um, who has similar experiences, someone who also is in the medical community who may be going through the struggles of an identity crisis because all this time you've been advocating for um, having a good health bill, a good bill of health, um, and for having a 
green, I guess, health status. I don't know. Like I want to not say uh, clear or clean, but just uh, not having an STI or not having anything wrong with you or not having any sort of um, mental illness even or disability even. And now you're able to find someone who looks like you. So that was my goal there. And then over time, I was like, I'm not going to interview people who aren't going to allow for themselves to be there or be out there, put their faces out there at the very least. Or um, we could make up names for obvious reasons. But I didn't want to perpetuate the stigma in that way either. And then over time, it was just like, well, how am I perpetuating stigma if my intention is really to give people the choice so that's what was reaffirmed for me is just that that power of choice and giving people the choice of being able to come on here and be anonymous um being able to become involved with the advocacy being able to get involved on the back end and not even get involved at all there are plenty of people who just listen to the podcast who have no intention of reaching out or saying anything or um being on the podcast or sharing it at all and that's okay because those people who come here at some point they're going to be ready to do something that works for them and that something can just be continuing to listen to the podcast maybe that would be uh contributing a donation to one of the events that are coming up or maybe it'll be something else so um throughout this process throughout me learning about myself and growing into the kind of person I need to be in order to facilitate the healing that takes place through something positive for positive people I've come to realize this I've just come to realize this it's the importance of being able to give someone a choice. And now here I am. Um, we're heading into a whole new decade. And it's been three years that I've been recording interviews with people. The podcast has been official for two and a half years now. Um, and it's it's great. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's been really um, helpful to me. And I want y'all to know that as we close out this decade, uh, like I said, something positive for positive people is now more than just me interviewing people with herpes. And it's more than an intentionally inclusive hub of sex positive resources. And in fact, I am going to do away with that statement. Um, I've been working over the weekend on shifting it to reflect more so of what something positive for positive people is now and it while it's a non-profit it is still also a podcast but um I'm thinking that the content and where my big picture goal is of being able to provide people who are experiencing stigmatization with therapy or at least at the very least being able to present them with the options of support that are available to them so that they can make the choice. And that's what I really want to emphasize here is that this is a hub of resources for stigmatized communities. These resources are there for people to choose to access and decide how they want to move forward in order to navigate 
the shame that they've experienced. So um, it started out with people with herpes who were stigmatized and came here for, well, people have come here and found it. But what people have gotten out of it is some level of education and information. People have gotten um, a a sense of self-awareness and just empowerment even. And most importantly, people have gotten support and community out of it. So um, people are connecting to groups and making friends. And even if I'm just that friend to people, I feel like I'm making that Nathaniel Ayers and I forgot Robert Downey Jr.'s name in the movie, The Soloist. Um, But I'm making like that quality of connection with people. And each one I make gives me a little bit something that makes me a little bit better. So I want to continue to grow and be the kind of person that facilitates this healing, not just for people who are living with uh, HSV, not just for people who are um, dealing with an STI, but for people who are going through their own healing process, for people who may have found this through stigma and are discovering that there may be some shame around something that, uh, around who they are. That, that's probably the best way of putting it. So I want to be able to do this for people. I want to provide community. I want to provide res- uh, resources and support um, and get that to be what brings people, what people get out of this podcast. People are getting like a roadmap out of this, a roadmap that has multiple directions that you can go into, but you ultimately are creating your own path. So through the experiences shared on here, like we've covered mental health issues, we've covered body issues, we've covered uh, women's reproductive uh, health issues and of course we've covered suicide we've covered sexual assault we've covered so many different things that this podcast it would be a disservice for me to say that something positive for positive people is solely an intentionally inclusive uh hub of sex positive resources this of course is and always will be a sex positive podcast i mean positives in the podcast title twice but the word something can be replaced with a number of things and Again, as you listen through this podcast and these episodes, you hear stories of people and their healing. Like this is how they heal. Um, They talk about that. So while the herpes diagnosis in many cases was something that brought awareness to something that needed to be healed. If you interchangeably use that with any other life situation, you're left with a story of healing and perseverance. So as I work through what that's going to look like moving forward, know that we have some great podcast episodes coming up, including this one. This is an extremely long intro, but I felt it was important for me to I felt it in my heart to just share that um, sort of my version of what I was watching in the movie. And uh, I, I ended up. Like a mid-movie, uh, one of my girlfriend's relatives brought up politics, and we had a whole discussion about that. So I probably missed some very important pieces of the movie. But again, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone. If you want to check it out, it's called The Soloist. And um, you can just read the premise of the book and kind of get an idea of what it's about. But you, I really encourage you to watch it, um, especially to help you with understanding, like, what not, everything isn't what it seems like yeah that homeless person there loves music but we also don't need to be forcing things on people okay 
Uh, this was a much longer intro than I intended for it to be, but this podcast episode is one of those live events. I um, got with Sex Positive St. Louis here, David Wraith, Kendra Holiday. These are people who you're going to hear from on upcoming episodes of Something Positive for Positive People. Um, Kendra was kind enough to bring Claire Jensen, Dr. Claire Jensen and I together to Shameless Grounds Coffee here in St. Louis, Missouri. It's a sex positive coffee shop. You should see the menu. It's great. Um, it's very just chill and friendly and just uh, open i think open might be the best way to describe it so um i'm looking forward to spending a lot more time there i just found out about them um a few months ago and i've gotten a few interviews with them and hopefully um i'm going to be able to get to some of the events that they have and as you listen to this podcast episode i mean know that it's a panel discussion so uh claire and i dr claire and i we give a little bit of our backgrounds and what we're bringing to the conversation and we open up the floor for questions this is something i want to be able to put together around the world and hopefully bring the experiences of people who have uh, been on the podcast before and who I've engaged with regularly um, in DMs. I want to be able to bring this conversation and bring their experiences to people because, like I said, that friendship, that community, all of that is really important in facilitating our own healing processes. So what that looks like is um, finding the sex positive organizations around the world and partnering with them to get people who are affected by STIs, who are aware, who are risk aware, so to speak. Um, so people who might do kink play parties um, and may be involved with uh, BDSM and who are interested and more like open to this kind of a discussion and may have questions. I want to create a safe space for them, but also for the people who are living with HSV or other SCIs to be able to come in and like sort of exchange and share experiences among one another and be able to just have a good time. Like we were able to drink some coffee. We had some snacks and um, of course they had food, but we stuck around afterwards and we all just sat and hung out and talked, exchanged stories. So this is something that I want to do moving into 2020. And again, I know I haven't talked about STD Engage yet, but I, I don't want to talk about it until the things are in stone. Um, 2020 is looking very promising as far as the expansion of something positive for positive people and what we're going to be able to do. And as far as like the sources of money coming in. So keep your just keep me in your vibe range so whatever you think about me or think about the podcast send us some positivity because um if things go well and things go right i'll be able to do a lot more of this what of what you're going to hear in this podcast special thank you to waxo as well for continuing to support something positive for positive people this would not be as frequent as it is if it weren't for that so um just check out uh, this podcast episode, this live recorded podcast episode. I edited and cleaned it up as best I could to eliminate some of the background noise. But um, overall, you can hear it sounds a lot better than I thought it would. And uh, just keep in touch. I'm on social media at H on my chest. And that's where I post all the updates. I'm going to be posting the episodes um, on Wednesdays moving forward. This might get posted today and then I'll do all the promo for it Wednesday. But Wednesday is Christmas and the following Wednesday is New Year's. And um, from there, you'll see that cadence of weekly podcasts on Wednesdays until further notice. Enjoy. <laughs> all right. Okay. Okay. Wow.
Hello, hello. Thank you for coming to Shameless Grounds on this wonderful <laughs> wintry Sunday afternoon. This is one of my favorite places to hang out when it's all cold and gray outside because it gets so cozy in here. So I always recommend wearing layers because it gets hot. So we are Sex Positive St. Louis. I'm Kendra Holiday. We have David Ray here as well, my co-founder. And today we are having a herpes hangout, which means we are going to learn about STIs, particularly SHV1 and 2. So that's what I said. SHV. Yes. We have to keep starting over like we did when I was on your podcast oh, no, before. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so we had one of these hangouts about six years ago. And Claire Jensen is a nurse and professional. She knows her medical shit. But guess what? It's 2019, and now she is Dr. Claire Jensen, everyone. Congratulations. You want to share it off? She does not. Thank you so much. So, um, Dr. Claire Jensen, I, I'll stop now, but anyway, I'm just so proud of you. <laughs> so, Claire is here to speak on statistics, medical information. She is our healthcare experts, and I have questions for her. And we did do a recap of the first Herpes Hangout a few years ago. You can find it on our blog, sexstl.com. But now we get to have an updated version, and we get to add Courtney Brain to the mix. And Courtney is the founder of Something Positive for Positive People. It's a podcast with over 100 episodes. 100? Yep. Yeah. And Courtney's gonna bring a social, cultural perspective to this conversation. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna let them kind of talk about what they know about herpes and HSV one and two, and what the difference is and the stigmas and the different um, facts and information. And one of the biggest questions we get in sex positive St. Louis community is how to date, how to be polyamorous, what to do at a swinger party, and all that good stuff. And I can also lend a little perspective as a sex worker. So as a sex worker, I get with hundreds, maybe thousands of people over my career, and several of them have told me that they have herpes, and I don't. So it's important to know how to protect yourself and practice safer sex and not be scared. So the first person who ever told me that, I got really freaked out at first because I just had that whole taboo thing going on. So if they told me they had a cold, I wouldn't have been as weird about it, but because they said they had herpes, I was like, ah! Oh! And then I got educated. And that's why you're here today, to get educated, to learn about, is it a big deal? Is it no big deal? What's it all about? So we're gonna learn, and then you can ask questions and have discussion. Thank you. All right, so let's start at the beginning. Herpes, or HSV, stands for herpes simplex virus, is a virus. Uh, there's no cure for it, but you can treat it with antivirals, and it's very common. I was just brushing up on kind of my statistics yesterday, looking at the CDC website. It said that people 14 to 49, uh, one in six have it, and I suspect that that number is actually higher because Medical professionals don't test for it unless specifically requested, and people don't really offer up that information even to their healthcare providers because there's so much stigma. But really when it comes down to it, it's just a skin condition. 
Um, so causes shell ulcers. Uh, wherever you're infected, you can get infected on your mouth, on your genitals, on your anus. You can get it in your eyes. Uh, dentists sometimes get it on their fingers. It's called a herpetic whitlow. Um, so it's just a skin condition. It's spread by skin-to-skin -skin contact. Um, and it comes at times of physical or emotional stress, hormonal changes. So um, a lot of times women can get it around the time of their periods when hormones are changing. Um, I've heard of people getting outbreaks either on their mouth or their genitals. Uh, when the weather changes, so springtime, you know, or fall could be uh, times that could cause outbreaks. But, um, you know, it's just like any other skin condition. You've got to take care of yourself, keep the area clean. Uh, it could be painless to painful. Some people who have it don't know they have it because it doesn't hurt. They don't feel it. Uh, they might um, attribute it to other skin conditions like ingrown hairs or acne or just be in denial. Uh, the medical professionals don't really give it much attention because it doesn't cause any real, like, heavily medic medical ramifications. It doesn't stop you from going to work. It doesn't stop you from doing your activities of daily living. It doesn't cause infertility or cause any long-term effects other than the fact that it comes back at times of stress. This is actually a virus that is related to chickenpox and shingles. Those are all herpes viruses. Um, so kind of the defining thing with herpes is that it causes blisters and then shallow ulcers. It takes up to about a week to heal. Um, so as far as sex is concerned, if you're not having a breakout, um, using a condom is helpful to reduce spreading the virus, but you can get an infection or a breakout in places that aren't covered by condoms. So it's safer sex, it's not all the way safe sex. Um, about herpes. Let's pass it to Courtney, and then I'm sure I you have want to do that now? Yes, yes. All right, I'm going to talk a lot. Okay, <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, my name is Courtney. I'm the founder and podcast host of Something Positive for Positive People. It started really as more of a suicide prevention resource than anything else, because I was diagnosed with genital HSV type 2 seven years ago, and it took me about five years before I found any other resources that were out there. So like, uh, there was a dating site called Positive Singles. It took me five years before I found that and got active on it. And when I got there, I found that there were a lot of people who wanted to commit suicide and said that the stigma was terrible, like they'd never find anyone to date them, they'd never be in a relationship. and. For me, coming into that space, like after being so excited about finding other people who had it and not having to worry about the issue of dating and disclosure because I'm on a dating site where everybody has it, so why isn't everyone celebrating this? So after connecting with a few of these people and finding out, okay, well, let's figure out why you want to commit suicide because it's really not a big deal. Come to find out this is also probably the worst thing you could say to a person who's having suicide ideation, but this was something that kind of came later. Um, I began to get involved with social groups of people who were living with herpes, uh, people who just have online communities that were private, secret, safe, so that we can exchange information, get accurate information, and more so share our experiences. So I reached out to a few people who were willing to share their experiences so that I could just record the audio and then share it with the people who were most dealing with their uh, diagnosis. And, in a negative way. 
Uh, that turned into a very repetitive process. I say when it got to like 12, uh, the 12th person or something like that, I had to continue to email people and I'd have a typo or they wouldn't get it and that just became really repetitive. So I kind of extended beyond my own comfort zone by posting the audio to YouTube. And after having it up on YouTube for a while, uh, I noticed that it got a lot of views in a very short period of time. Now mind you, this is an audio only file on a video format, so how many people are really processing all of the information? Uh, cut through you know, a little bit, let's cut ahead, some of the story, but I ended up getting a podcast subscription service so that I was able to just put it on the podcast so that people were able to listen to the information. And so, in doing that, the more recordings that I did with people, the more people wanted to come on and be a part of it and share their experiences. So, uh, one of my very first episodes, well, the very first one was with a lady named Amy, who got herpes from her husband, who cheated on her, and her first time having to go out and date, her first disclosure was to the guy and she goes, yeah, I have herpes, and she bursts out crying, and she's talking about that experience, and the guy just looks at her, he puts his hand on her, he goes, hey, my legs don't work. So from his perspective, it just wasn't a big deal, and oftentimes it's not as big of a deal as we make it, it's really just our response to the social stigma. So uh, let's fast forward. Now, you know, as Kendra said, I've interviewed more than 100 people who are living with herpes, and there's so many different perspectives that have been brought here. And uh, the main thing is that the stigma itself for most people is more harmful than the physical symptoms are themselves. So the stigma <laughs> itself is most harmful to the people who are dealing with herpes. So like, while many of us may go through life without any symptoms at all, may find out by mistake, um, just through getting tested by accident, which is something that happens as well. Uh, it's, it's really how we respond to the stigma that affects us the most. I took a survey of 110 people who listened to the Something Positive for Positive People podcast, and I asked two main questions. One was, what was the negative, or did you have any negative experiences? If so, what were they? Uh, after your diagnosis and the negative, uh, the, it broke down into four main categories, depression, self-harm tendencies, suicide ideation, and suicide attempts. Now the most shocking thing out of this was that 6% of those people attempted suicide and 98% of people experienced depression. So when asked how did the podcast or listening to the podcast, which is a form of psychosocial support, it's a safe space for people to take in the information and experiences from other people, uh, there were three main categories that people expressed that they felt supported. One was uh, educational and understanding the stigma. The other was self-empowerment and self-acceptance. And then the third one, which was the most popular, was just feeling a sense of community or support. And the main thing that was in all of these people's short responses was made me feel less alone. So we feel like, and this is how I felt, you know, five years was that, hell, I'm the only person who has her. And it took before me to begin to talk about it or share that with people for me to find out that I wasn't the only one. And there are a lot of people with it. And the majority of people who are affected by it don't really let them let it affect them. So, I mean, we're 
we're talking about people who are already in relationships who have uh, sort of transcended the issues that most people have after their diagnosis, which is, am I gonna date, am I gonna have a family? And those people just kinda stay out of it because they don't really have a reason to advocate or share their stories. And a lot of times, those are the kinds of people that I end up connecting with just in order to give the people who are struggling the most a sense of the reality that it's possible to have a whatever normal looks like life for themselves. Uh, so now to this point, what I do is I interview a lot of sex educators, therapists, uh, people who are in the sex positivity realm in order to really address the main issue, which is the stigma, like I said. Uh, if we take it a level deeper than that, I really believe that it's more so about shame. And I recently uh, heard someone, one of my most recent guests, she shared that, she used the word, uh, I forget the exact phrase, but what she said made me sort of view shame in like this solar system. So the center of this solar system is shame and the planets revolving around it are various sources of misinformation and all of the people are the stars and space itself is sex. So really like there's this whole thing that has our attention that we're distracted by, but the root of it is shame. And everybody is involved with, we're here because of sex. And the whole thing that really perpetuates the stigma is the illusion or the misinformation that surrounds SCIs in general, really, when the reality is like sex is all around us. So uh, I use the resource now as a way of more so equipping people with the tools and resources that they need in order to navigate stigma the way that they choose to. So I'm not like trying to empower people to go out and become advocates for sex positivity or sexual health. It's more so giving people what they need in order to take what, take what they need at that point in time, wherever they are. So if it's information on how to disclose, if it's factual information about herpes, if it's how to date, uh, how to, have safer sex with partners, or if you just need to hear someone else's experience that may relate to yours, or if you do decide that you want to get out there into the realm of uh, sex positivity and combating stigma, all of those resources are in one place for you to be able to just take what you need and go out into the world that, uh, in a way that helps you. So um, I'm hoping to be able to provide insight from the various guests that I've had on. Uh, so the experiences are really going to be, any of the questions that come up, uh, I'll be able to just pull from any of those experiences at any given moment as best I can. If I don't have an answer, I'll tell you I don't have an answer. And we can pull out our phones and Google something, or I can text someone who might. So, yeah. So, Claire, the Center for Disease Control website, CDC, do you feel like they have a very fact-based, impartial delivery of information? Yeah, so, um, if you are more of a statistics person, they have statistics. If you just want to know kind of facts about it, they have fact sheets. They have a uh, frequently asked question sheet. Um, I don't think they have a section about how to disclose. But um, I, if I ever have any medical questions or if I need more information on a specific thing, if, if a friend asks me about a disease or a condition and I just want to brush up on it, I go to cdc.gov to um, to kind of make sure that all my information is correct and up to date. I really like the CDC because I know that I can trust it and it's accurate. 
Uh, so that's where I go for any information. If I have questions about diseases, if I have questions about vaccinations, uh, really uh, a lot of medical related things is where I, I like to go to find this kind of basic lay people term information. Does anyone want to ask a question or can I keep going? Okay. So I want to ask you this. I get tested quarterly and I was recently blood tested for HSV1 and 2 and they both came back negative. However, I get a cold sore on my lip every couple of years or so. Wouldn't that mean that I have herpes or HSV something? Yeah, so the test isn't super accurate, so you can have false positives or usually false positives. So the most accurate way to test is to actually culture the sore. So to do a blood test, it, you can get a false negative. Okay. Yeah. And then along those same lines, like I mentioned to you, when I have clients who mention in passing that who I've been intimate with that they have herpes, and I don't freak out because we've already taken as many precautions as possible. I had a client come one day to visit with me and he had a big cold sore on his mouth, on his lip. And so when I saw that, I checked in with him and I said, I could still do the session today, but let's not do anything involving your mouth. So no genital contact, no kissing today, but we can do a lot of other creative, fun, sexy things. And we worked around it. And so that worked out fine. So yes. Good. <laughs> yes, that. Okay. okay, that's good. Yeah. And he was really ashamed. Like he showed up and I, I pointed it out. Matter of factly, I didn't sit there and you know, you know, like I knew he wanted to come anyway, but he was feeling weird about it. But I put it on the table and it worked out just fine. Yeah. Yeah, so you can still, you know, have sex, but just you no know, no contact with wherever you're breaking out. And then I have a friend who has outbreaks on their belly. Yeah, it's, you can get it anywhere on your skin. So, you know, if that person had an infected person who was having a breakout touch their belly with the secretions from the ulcer, then... And he has made a decision to continue to sleep with a person he doesn't really like, even because he knows he can be with that person and he doesn't have to take the risk of disclosing and so forth. So uh, is that a thing where people make those kind of decisions? All right, so a lot of people have expressed that they they don't say that they're settling in relationships, but it's just easier to not have to worry about disclosing, so it's easy to it's go back safe. to, yeah, yeah, it's very, it's safe. Um, it's easy to go back into a relationship that isn't giving you everything that you need. And I mean, I'm. You looking at me crazy because I've Please done that. Do <laughs> uh, I've done that. I mean, I've been guilty of it, but like, it just there's more to relationships than just the sex piece. And well, people being will do that without any diagnosis too, because it's safer. Even if you're not happy, it's safer to be with somebody you know and trust, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of the herpes piece, it's just like I don't want to have to tell somebody this. I don't want to run the risk of them telling someone else that I have it. I don't want to run the risk of, you know, uh, just being outed for it or run the risk of uh, whatever sort of criticism and judgment may come as a result of it because I don't know where it came from. I don't know how I got it. And after I became uh, aware and began to look up information about it, I could have had this for forever. I remember I got tested in 2011, 2010 in college 
um, I had a lesion on my penis. I went into the health clinic and the nurse looked at it and was just like, it looks like you've been really busy. So I didn't take that for, I didn't take her word, you know, for what it was. I went to get a blood test done. And when I got the blood test, I found that while I was negative for HSV 1 and 2, I noticed that there was a presence of antibodies. So that's what it tests for. You have to test above a certain number in order to be considered positive. I still had a presence of antibody, so I don't know if it was repeat exposure or if it was just time passing that allowed for it to replicate itself, or maybe it was a new exposure. I don't know. But when I got that test, I remember that there was a presence of it. One year later was when I woke up with my first outbreak, and I got tested, and the number was significantly higher, <laughs> and uh, I had genital herpes, HSV2. So when you had um, the outbreak, then you went and they did a swab culture on the affected area? Yes. Is that what, how mm -hmm. they did it? Okay. Yes. And do you get the same outbreak in the same area all the time? So I've gotten three outbreaks in over the last seven years. In the last seven years, you've had mm -hmm. three outbreaks. Yeah. And just going back to uh, what Claire was saying, just about stress. So uh -huh. one time I was in a new city moving out, I quit my job and then I got fired. So these were the uh -huh. times where uh -huh. like my stress was low and I really wasn't taking that good care of myself. And I'm also questioning like, because I was playing football in college, was it me no longer being so active that triggered an outbreak? Because now it's like, oh, your immune system is not as strong as it was because you're not as active. But when football was over, I just stopped doing anything for probably six, seven months. And then that was when I had an outbreak. So there's no telling how long I had it. There's no telling how long I've been fighting off outbreaks until it got to a point where I was so immunocompromised that it just like, gotcha. And do you have it in the same spot every time? It was, yes. And that's that's how it goes, Claire? Yeah, yeah, usually. So the virus lives in your spinal column. Okay, so and the, it lives in the spinal column? Yeah. Okay. And then it comes out, so it follows like... It follows a nerve. follows a nerve track. So like with shingles, its cousin, you know, you get breakouts like on a nerve track and it'll be in like straight lines. Uh -huh. So this kind of travels back to the point of origin or point of origin, wherever, uh -huh. or, uh -huh. you know, get in your eyes, your hand, wherever you get it. And so there's something called viral shedding? Yeah, so um, viral shedding is higher um, immediately before, during, and after an outbreak. You do shed when you're not having an outbreak. I went to a uh, STD conference uh, put on by WashU, uh, and they said that you have about 2% chance of spreading it when you're not breaking out. So. It's pretty good odds if you're really self-aware and pay attention and in touch with your body. You know, you can, can avoid sharing this gift with your partner. Yeah. And if two people who have herpes are on a herpes dating site and they learn that they're both positive and they don't have to, you know, they figure out what works for them, do they have two different viruses or are they like, we? Like, how does that go? You know what I mean? Well... Uh, it could be different strains, you know, viruses um, mutate all the time. Uh, but I do want to talk about how people differentiate between HSV 1 and 2. Yeah. But the way human nature is, we put our mouths on other people's genitals and other people's genitals in our mouths, so it's kind of the same. You can get one on your junk and you get two on your face. And, uh -huh. So really differentiating doesn't matter. 
Okay. You have it on your so, mouth or you have it on your jaw. The same one and two outdated then, or? I mean, like, you could say that. I mean, I feel like the only difference between one and two is. Can you talk up for us, please? Yeah, no, and that's, you know that's I mean, people like, are like, oh, well, I get cold sores, but yeah. it's just HSV-1, so no big deal. Yeah. But really, it spreads the same. If you have you a cold sore on your mouth and you put your mouth on someone's junk, then you're exposing them. And then they'll have herpes on their genitals. So then they have genital herpes from your oral herpes. But they can still test. They'll probably still only test positive for one, even though they're... Yeah, so you can get HSV-1 on your genitals. You can get HSV-2 on your face. Yeah. Question. I'm not a medical person, but um, we're establishing an infant mortality initiative here in St. Louis County and St. Clair County. That's a good question. And, um, one thing that we're seeing is women of color, mothers of color with herpes, they are taking the route here in St. Louis County to have cesareans instead of natural childbirth if they broke out. So we put them in a van taking the Fairview Heights Absolutely. to Planned Parenthood, and they don't jump on C-sections as quickly. Um, especially if they have time to they go for we want to try natural childbirth as much as we can. We have two completely different medical philosophies based on where Planned Parenthood is. So, okay, here's the deal. So what's, what is it? <laughs> Tell us the deal. So um, they test pregnant individuals right. for HSV. And then if they come back positive or if the pregnant individual knows that they are positive, then we'll make sure that they're on antivirals, you know, few weeks before the planned birth. If they have an active outbreak, it is much safer to have a C-section okay. okay. because having exposing a baby with no immune system to herpes, the best case scenario is they're going to have a horrible outbreak mm -hmm. all over. Worst case scenario is that they're going to have neural changes that put their life at risk. Okay. So if we're trying to reduce infant mortality, it is much safer to have a C-section. Okay. By far, hands down, no question. Thanks for much that answer. Safer. That's clear. Yeah. yeah. It, it kind of depends on where you are and how long they've been practicing and how the insurance is and mom's got money. It's all the right. and all that. Yeah. Completely different answers. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do agree with trying to have vaginal birth. Mm -hmm. But there are exceptions. We want to just have the best, safest birth. However, however that is. Because, absolutely. So C-section is natural. The baby's still coming out of the mother. So, you know. And I feel like this, I'm getting off subject, but like, I feel like a lot of mothers feel like it's a failure if they have a C-section. They have a specific birth plan and they're like, no, this is how it's happening. And that goes into the stigma he was talking about. It affects them emotionally yes. and mentally very much. I've talked to mothers who ended up having to have a C-section for whatever reason, mm -hmm. and they do. They feel like terrible mothers. They, and it's like, your baby is alive and you are alive. This yeah. is a success. This I is a medical miracle. Herpes. It's yes. the herpes stigma. That too. That's yeah. what they can't take for why they have to have a C-section. And that's what we try to Or your baby can die. Here. Which would you prefer? That too. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. There are, there are heavy consequences. Well, that's that's for um, gonorrhea. Yeah, yeah. Which you can also get gonorrhea in your eyes and your mouth, and uh, it's gooey and icky. <laughs> Courtney, besides your podcast, what other what other resources are available to kind of fight stigma? Uh, there's a lot. So I try to interview people who are doing something about it. Uh, there's a herpes activist network, Hands, which uh, is a network of people who are open about herpes and sharing consistent information with their followings. 
There's also a lot of people who just talk about it casually on their platform. So um, on Instagram, for instance, there's a lot of sex educators, sex positive people out there. I mentioned the support groups that are secret, hidden uh, on social media platforms. There's the herpes subreddit where you can go there and get insight from people. I wouldn't say go there for your medical advice, but if you have a situation that you just want input on from people anonymously in a safe way where your identity is protected, you can also go there. Um, there's also the STD project. There's uh, STD project's Janelle. Yeah. So Janelle is in the East Coast, like uh, North, she's, uh, North Carolina. North yes. Carolina. Mm -hmm. And she's the first person I saw doing what you're doing is throwing up the beacon and letting people know yeah. and so she's doing the std project sci project so she just rebranded yes. she just rebranded okay uh -huh. Uh -huh. so it's the sci project.com so you can go there for a lot of additional information and she's very out there vocal and outspoken about herpes and scis and just really combating stigma uh from that angle um on Instagram, social media, there's sex education. It's sex education with an L in the middle. Uh, she provides a lot of useful resources, graphics to talk about STIs, sex, period, sexual health, um, and stigma. There are so many little support groups all across the world. Uh, if, we, if we were to just like put out a call for people to put it all in one place, like that would be so helpful for people to be able to navigate the challenge of finding these kinds of resources because it's so hard to find and no one knows that they're available until they have to know they're available right. so um, I talk about something positive for positive people being an intentionally inclusive hub of sex positive resources which includes that so that the people who are affected by SCI stigma test positive for an SCI and maybe going through that whole cycle of shame know that oh I can go to this thing that doesn't explicitly say STDs, herpes, or anything like that, they're able to go there and browse through if they're in public on their phone or on their laptop in a corner or something like that. They're able to safely browse that and look for the information that they need. Um, Midori, who is an amazing sex educator, she's been in St. Louis before, and she wrote a post, a Herpes Saved My Life, and she does Fort Femme, and she's an amazing resource. That is amazing. <laughs> That's good. So Midori, and I love like Reed Mahalko, he posts every year his STI status and talks about the herpes thing. Um, there's a few others that are just outspoken about that, but not in this whole, like this is my whole identity thing. It's all part of their whole package. It's all about, um, this is matter of fact, this is practical, and just to show that they're a face out there and they're having fun sex and they're leading their leadership roles and all these things, and it's just one little part. And I think that that's important for people to allow themselves, like those people really, like you said, shine a beacon of light for those around them to be able to decide whether or not they want to shine a beacon of light. And the more of that that we get, the more people are able to see, oh, okay, that's this is okay because that person has herpes and, and then you go down the list of all of the other cool things that they're doing. So, I mean, I know people who are doctors, lawyers, uh, contractors, people who are in very good positions as far as their careers go, um, their personal lives, they do a lot of good things in the world, who are living with SCIs, who are living with herpes, and it's just not a big deal to them. So some of these people do come on and like, kind of as their way of giving back, share their stories on the podcast, anonymously of course, um, but those are the kinds of things that we need to hear in order to know that we're still whoever we are if we remove herpes from the equation.
And then do some people have lots of outbreaks and some people have no outbreaks? Is there, yeah, so, um, um, and is it really, some people have it really hard? They have a difficult time and some people it's no big deal? Yeah, there are, so like I mentioned, I'm one of those lucky ones who gets outbreaks very minimally. Uh, I don't have much trouble with dealing with herpes or dealing with the stigma. I do know women who have their periods and like clockwork, whenever they are starting their cycle, that's when they start. Yes, so that's when they're starting to experience outbreaks. Uh, there are people who also get outbreaks like on their butt cheeks, on their spine, elbow, ankle, just like we talked about earlier, you can get an outbreak anywhere. And we have to also be mindful of the fact that just because you're not showing symptoms, it is still possible to uh, pass herpes on to another person. So using barriers and things like that, these are things that are gonna reduce, minimize risk, but there's always a risk of exposure if you're someone who has tested positive. So if I host orgies, play parties, if I have 100 people at the play party, are 25 of them testing positive for herpes? Statistically speaking. Yes. So then, okay. So should they sit out or should they come? Should they use protection? I mean, I feel like they should have their fun and be educated. If they have an outbreak, maybe not. I mean. So in the conversations that I've had with people, I find that there's a higher level of risk awareness for the people who might be participating in the order. So these are, we're talking about people who get tested regularly, who are aware of their status, who are uh, able to communicate their status to others and talk to others about their status. So the precautions are in place. Ashley Manta, the canisexual, she's someone who's really... Ashley Manta. Ashley Manta. Canisexual. Yes. That's a new one for me. So. Oh, okay. So I'll, I'll link you to it. Yeah. But uh, okay. she incorporates weed into sex, oh, and she's okay. like, yeah, she's very known uh, in that space. And she so, she also has her. So we're gonna have an interview coming up soon. So Is we'll weed good for that sort of stuff? Stress related yeah. thing? <laughs> can, can you get like medical? So the medical community doesn't really acknowledge marijuana as like In good for anything. Every, everywhere, like they're starting to do research on it, but like. But they only research that weak shit. <laughs> right? It's true. The only like legal government research into marijuana is with like marijuana that's like 2% THC. So. Yeah, so yeah, they don't really like. You can do your own personal tests to see if it helps reduce stress. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, you may get into this in the future, but I have a question. For poly people, so I'm positive, he's negative. Right. Um, how we've had discussions about whether he has to tell people that I'm positive or not. That's a tough, tough decision. Because yeah. And even though he's negative, like you said, he could get it at any time if we're having regular sex. And just because he's negative, tested negative doesn't necessarily mean he is negative. Is that correct? Right. So I think that the best way to navigate that is just with that open dialogue and communication among partners. Like, hey, you know, I'm seeing someone who is HSV positive. How does it? Are you? How do you feel about that? And how far would you take that out? I mean, it's. I mean, Polly can get. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sex worker, and I have clients who have HSV, so every time I get with but someone, but you don't like, tell your other. I don't ever say it. that. I just okay. use my protection and whatever, and I get tested a lot. So that to me, helps. I really don't yes. think you need to split hairs like that. In my opinion. I don't know. I've had a 
very good track record, not saying I'm you know negative or something, I'm saying that everyone is playing in an educated, good way, and you don't have to always think about oral or intercourse. There's so many ways to share intimacy, and I don't know, like it was, that's, that's tough. So herpes itself is just, it's a tricky virus. And uh, people who play with people who are positive and or not, like, again, it's just the transparency that's there. So how far back you choose to go is really up to you. I mean, as far as being the person who hasn't tested positive, uh, I don't know that, I don't know how far back or how soon, how how detailed you need to get with that. So that's something that's just more of like a conversational piece, like everyone who's involved, like how comfortable is everyone with this and having a conversation. So that's really for you to be able to judge for yourself. Can I, uh, I kind of go back to Kendra's 100% orgy example, whereas 25 of them have gotten back that so iffy test. How many of them are just so much in denial or are asymptomatic, or... So, a, a good rule for practice is just to assume everybody has it. That's what my friend Erica Jones is yeah. my mentor. She's a sex worker, and she said, just assume everyone has STI, and just treat everybody the, the same. Can. Use, use yes. barrier methods, and, you know, get tested regularly, because the fact of the matter is, you can't always know who has what, because yeah. they might not know, or they might not disclose. Yeah. So if you treat everybody like they have something, herpes, HIV, syphilis, gonorrhea, whatever it is, yeah. if you practice safer sex, then you'll be safer. Yeah. Is there, I, I can't remember if you said this or not, do you know, is there a, a percentage of false test results? I don't have that information. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Just asking. Yeah. In speaking to the people that I've spoken to, um, I get private messages. I say on a weekly basis where someone's like, I think I have herpes, I'm not sure. Uh, and it'll be something like an ingrown hair. They'll go get tested, find right. out that it wasn't herpes. Or there will be cases where someone just surprisingly found out that they had it. And then they go get tested again and they don't have it. So it really just comes down to it being tricky. It's about timing. It's about uh, how you're tested, when you're tested, if you're even tested. All of these things kind of play a role into it. probably have been exposed to HPV. Right. Just, yeah. It's just, it's just is what it is. You, you probably have HPV or have had it at some point. But just as a full disclosure, I can always say I put that out there and people can make up their minds whether they want to or not and how they react to it really, I guess, changes my view of, of them by just saying, hey, hey yeah. it could happen, it could not. This, 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 this is the risk that you're being exposed Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Does anyone have any other questions? You guys, your hand up early. Oh. Are there any long-term effects to it? I mean, is it just something you have your outbreak and then yeah. nothing that would? Like the only major health risk is to to infants being born. Okay. 
Oh, also, just don't kiss babies ever. Just don't kiss oh, them. Please just don't, don't kiss, kiss babies. Please oh. don't kiss them. Aside from, oh. aside from HSV, you can give them influenza. Don't kiss babies. Don't kiss babies. I've heard of rabbis doing circumcisions. Right. Giving yeah. babies. Yeah. Well, they could they could have a cold sore or not wash them. Like yeah. yeah don't do babies don't have immune systems, so just like just, please don't kiss them. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> but at, at least from my reading, um, it was never even considered a problem until it's, they came up with a medication that didn't Well, and work. that's the thing, yeah. When Valtrex came out, it like kind of like brought it to people's attention and it kind of added to the stigma. Oh, know? it did? I, I think it did. I, I don't actually have from proof about that. From or what do you mean? Yeah, because it's like people are starting to talk about it and like, oh, you know, you need this medication now. And then now people are like, oh my God, hurt these animals. And so I, um, 20 years ago, a long time ago, back in my 20s, I was part of a herpes vaccine study. Yeah. Anything? Like There's I, no vaccines. So I was part of the study. I don't know. I mean. It may have increased no. your resistance. Maybe. Or you could have been part of the control group. And yeah, right. could have gotten nothing. Yeah. So uh, there's Rich Mancuso. He wrote a book called Asking for a Friend. He was someone who participated in a clinical trial. Was this the one you participated in? Too? It was at SLU. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, his was out of the country. And um, unfortunately, the person who was doing the experiments passed away. And the virus worked, or the uh, vaccine worked for him. It was a, uh, I believe it was functional cure was the term. Now, it's not cure. It's functional cure. So... Uh, looking into it, like it doesn't mean that your herpes is all the way gone, but he had his symptoms alleviated from it. So now he's doing work to bring that conversation back uh, to surface to America. He's been fighting for it for a while now. And one of the issues that we have, you know, fake stigma, is that the people who are most suffering from the virus and dealing with it in the worst ways are afraid of having their identities out there. So we're talking about like efforts of doing things like signing a petition in order to get a vaccine, better medication, or better, more accurate, consistent information. Like until people are able to collectively come together as a community and demand something change, nothing's gonna change. So in the meantime, I mean, like these kinds of conversations are useful as far as de-stigmatizing um, how we view sex and sexual health and herpes itself. Uh, in our communities, but in order for us to have a greater impact, we really just need people to be willing to do something in order to create a change. So do you think, you said earlier that you have people talk on your podcast um, anonymously. Do you think by them being anonymous that just adds more to this stigma than them coming out and saying it? Do you yes. ever talk to them about that? So I think that have it's, you ever changed anybody's mind? Have I changed people's mind? Yes. So. When I began, I started to do it in this very like structural way of how old are you, what's your ethnicity, geography, where you live, all of these kinds of things. And it kind of just looked like a, like a spreadsheet. So now I'm giving people, I think it's the intention behind it, I wanted to give people an idea that, oh, here's a person I can relate to, be it age, race, uh, gender, whatever. And so starting out that way, <laughs> starting out that way, it eventually evolved over time to where it was like, all right. Sorry, man. That's all right. I'm making a mess. I dropped the knife in the trash can, so I'm going diving. So uh, in the beginning, it was kind of this like template layout, but my intention with that was to show people, hey, there's a person who looks like you. There's a person who kind of went through a similar situation as you have. And then it kind of evolved into, damn, Courtney, I think you are like stigmatizing because now you're 
creating like a consistent thing that says, oh, well, a person who meets this criteria is someone who can have herpes. So I stopped doing that and just started kind of going into the conversation. And then that branched out into me kind of like, it would naturally happen where people would say, oh yeah, I was diagnosed at 26 and I was seeing uh, someone and this was what happened and I got cheated on. And they'll go into the stories naturally themselves. So. Uh, now, I, I stopped doing that for a minute where I just left off. He was like, hey, if you're not going to be open to talking and sharing your story, then I can't, if you can't be open about it, then I can't have you on here. But then it came a point where it was like, it's more valuable to have the experience on here than it is for it not to be on here because this person isn't at that place yet. So in doing so, like, yeah, I'll have one or two people come on who are super duper open about it, but then there's four or five excellent stories that you just hadn't heard from, from people who just aren't there yet. And so it's more important for me to be able to get these people to kind of level up in their minds about it, because now these are also people who are more comfortable going out into the world and telling one or two people, uh, disclosing or speaking out if someone makes a shitty herpes joke at a bar or something like that. They've already told their story once, even if it was anonymous, it's easier to tell it again. Yeah. And it, it's courage even to do it anonymously. It takes so much courage because yes. you feel like everyone's looking at you as you're talking to a microphone. Mm -hmm. And um, one example is a young lady who told me that she was trying to kill herself she took a bunch of pills and like that part is what she was more ashamed of putting out there and having her name attached she was like oh, I don't want anybody to know that I actually tried to kill myself so there's also these pieces of it too and one thing I'll say is that regardless of the the fact that everyone who comes to something positive for positive people is being brought here thanks to herpes if you remove herpes out of the equation and replace it with any other kind of a life situation, you have a story of a person who faced some sort of adversity and they're going through a healing process. So being able to take people's experiences and navigate uh, your own life, applying what you need from that, is something that's not just useful for herpes, but it's useful for life. I love that, oh my gosh. When someone who has herpes chooses to only date with people with herpes, I feel bad about that because I feel like they're really kind of compartmentalizing themselves and their life experiences. And I feel like as a comparison, if I was a sex worker and only dated other sex workers, that would be, I don't know, like I feel like it's something that's way kind of punishing yourself, but that's my opinion, but I don't. So we don't know what we don't know? Yeah. And I mean, Oftentimes when people disclose to someone or how they receive the information about their diagnosis is how they're gonna take it into the next interaction. So if a doctor's very judgmental towards me, I think my doctor was very objective. He's like, it's herpes and here's the medication. Very matter of fact, I received that information well. So I was able to approach every disclosure after that that way. A lot of people, specifically women identifying people are met with negativity and judgment after a diagnosis. and things are said to them that shouldn't be said and just unfortunately wouldn't be said to men as far as about being promiscuous or like you should have waited until you were married those kinds of things so there's a level of shame that these providers yeah why are they still having licenses oh, i've heard some terrible stories like a woman who was sexually assaulted yeah. the person examined her and that man doctor said 
did you do you have did you know you have herpes or what? And she said no. She said he said you got it now. You know he did that. That kind of stuff, yeah. And so that's that's a whole separate conversation. But as far uh, as people who only choose to date other people who also have their condition, it's very it's it's safe for them. And until you know that there are people out there who are going to be accepting and understanding and willing to learn and educate themselves, you don't want to take that risk. So it takes for you to kind of just take a little step as far as maybe disclosing to someone you know, love and trust, uh, a relative, a good friend, someone who has been there for you during a rough time or someone that you were there for during a rough time. And it's just completely out of our range of awareness sometimes that if we tell someone we have herpes that they're going to say they have it too. But when you offer up that kind of level of vulnerability, you're often met with it in return. So you might hear, oh, you know, I also have herpes. You may hear of some other struggle that a person may be going through. Like when I, when I told my best friend, he came out to me, he was like, man, I got twins on the way. I was like, damn, at least it's not herpes. You know, we were able to, like, that's how we were able, he was like, oh. And in that, he was like, oh, my girlfriend's friend has herpes. I can hook y'all up. And that, I mean, we attempted that. It didn't work for other reasons, but those are the kinds of situations that people just don't get to experience or hear from by solely limiting yourself in this bubble of safety. So it just takes a little bit of courage. Pros and cons and yeah. trade-offs and things. So if a baby gets herpes being born, does that make it a sexually transmitted infection? Because that baby didn't have sex. Can you get a, a herpes from a toilet? Like that kind of stuff. Like how can you get herpes only from having sex? Or it's from skin to skin contact. It's skin to skin, so it could be a skin transmitted infection. That's what it really is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you cannot get it from a toilet. It's a really weak virus. Once it's out of a warm, moist environment, it dies. So warm, moist could be skin, but it's more like an orifice. Usually, like a mucous membrane. So that's why it, it's usually on the mouth or the genitals. It could be in the eyes. You can get it on other parts of this, the body on the skin, but it likes warm, moist environments. You just keep saying moist. Moist, moist, oh moist, moist. God, <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh, moist. I said earlier that it doesn't have any long-term health effects, and I was wondering if that's true when you get it in your eye, because my mother had it in her eye. Yeah, well, okay, that's a good point. Yeah, it can cause blindness. Okay. It can cause okay. eye I just stuff. Make sure yeah. change it. No, yeah, okay. that's a good okay. point. Uh, it's not as common in the eye, so I apologize. I don't, I've never heard of it, really. Yeah, it, it does happen. It can happen. Um, it's not as common. So, I mean, you can, like, self-infect your eye if you, like... And a good rule of thumb, too, is just practice good hygiene. Yeah, you know? keep it clean. Yeah, so, like, just washing your hands after you may touch an affected area. Um, I say, you know, just, just like you would keep yourself from getting cold. Just wash your hands, wash your hands before eating, wash your hands before you have sex. Yeah, that's a really good point. Whenever I have a session with someone, I always hygiene afterwards, and I don't mean to say that I scrub myself all the way down or anything as soon as I leave, but you know, you wash up. Tidy up a bit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And some people go party and get drunk and have sex in the dark and pass out and don't have the that's cleanup like afterwards. That's thing. a thing. That's yeah. like a thing people that's do. That's very common. Yeah. And I mean, I've had sexual partners who were negative, and one of my things that I would do is, all right, I know we're gonna have sex, so I'm just gonna shower before I get there, 
and then I would always just have them shower afterwards and it was just something that we did. This was a safety precaution that was important to me and it worked as far as I know. Um, I followed up with someone that I stopped seeing maybe two years ago and she reached out, she was like, hey, just saying, hey, I was like, oh fuck, she's gonna tell me I gave her herpes. Uh -huh. And she told me that she ended up getting it just from someone else and that, you know, she was grateful for having the information that I was putting out there because she was able to handle it better. And That's beautiful. the person yeah, really told awesome. her, she's like, yeah, now I have both types. And as far as I know, I have type two genitally. Um, but she said that she ended up testing positive for type one and type two. And there was no harm, no foul or anything. She was just, she thought it was crazy. That sounds how, like good communication. That's it. Oh yeah. my God. And, and I want to say that when you're doing these things and washing up, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. Like it it's could not be a shame thing. No, it's but, just but like it a... could be a ritual. It could, yeah. you know, like I have rituals and I have kind of celebration-y kind of things where if you light incense or if you, you know, it's, it's just like what you do. You go to the bathroom, you wash your hands. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, that's a good safety precaution. I mean, as far as um, like sex goes with herpes, I don't think we should be having super duper drunk, go home, have sex in the dark, pass out sex. That's, that's, that's negative in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's really unhealthy. Like, because people get kind of shamey about it, and they kind of like, ooh, like, you know? Call, like, and, walk of shame or whatever. Yes, yes. And then there's also, like, the consent piece, you know? Yeah. Are yes, we really consenting? Is consent completely being offered? Because I've had super-duper drunk go home in the dark, have sex, and the conversation wasn't had. Yeah. So I've not disclosed, and my excuse to myself has been, well, they didn't ask, or, well, we were both drunk, this and these really are just kind of normalizing or internalizing uh, why that's okay and I mean it's not so these are things to consider like I use my story for a person who may be negative who is going out and just having that drunk in the dark have sex pass out type situation to just be mindful of that like have these conversations beforehand if you can now, I understand that shit just happens but it's important to at least understand be risk aware just be risk aware yeah, and my, you remind me of another one of my mentors, Joan Price's, um, she teaches to learn from your past, celebrate the present, don't be afraid of the future. That's good. Can you say that again so I can, can you say yes. that a little bit louder? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, wanna, you didn't have to get up. <laughs> you want to learn from the past, celebrate the present, and don't be afraid of the future. That's Joan Price. Are there any other questions? Did you have anything you wanted to add? We can kind of, kind of um, have you not be on stage anymore. We can kind of open it up to hang out and just have discussion or whatever. And thank you so much. Yeah, yeah everyone. You want to do like a plug or something? for Sex Topics of St. Louis. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I want to thank you, Courtney and Claire, for um, being here at Shameless Grounds. And we love having these educational events with Sex Positive St. Louis. And we have all kinds of entertaining events as well. And we're all about community and connection. So this is one of those pieces. And I think this was just amazing. I learned so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you.